welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today we're going to look at Exodus chapter 8. Just as a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of God's Word, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and the theology very briefly. My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. Well, let's get to our reading today from Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8 says this, And then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. Then I shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frog shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is none like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be only left in the Nile. And so Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And, and then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. 
But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms or flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt the land was ruined by the swarm of flies. And then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. And if we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. And so Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. And then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to the go to sacrifice to the Lord. And so Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. No one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Well, this is our reading today from Exodus chapter 8. You know, God's sovereignty is highlighted in this passage in three ways. It's highlighted first in God's surprising choice of means in afflicting Egypt. It's highlighted secondly in Moses' prayer. And it's highlighted thirdly in Pharaoh's own self-condemnation. You're going to see God's surprising means recorded in verses 1 through 7. You'll, you'll see Moses' prayer and the incidents surrounding it recorded in verses 8 through 12. And you'll see Pharaoh's self-condemnation and the events attached to it in verses 13 through 15. These three parts of the passage are ones I'd like to look with you very briefly in this episode. We see in these three instances, God as sovereign in his judgment, God as sovereign in prayer, and surprisingly, God as sovereign in mercy, even as Pharaoh condemns himself. But you're going to have to hold on until the end to get to that thought. So let's look at the first uh, eight verses. And the point here is the destiny of Egypt is in the hands of God. Verses 1 through 7 of our chapter today, they, they give to us this picture of the surprising means of God. The second plague in these verses is threatened and is implemented and is eventually imitated by Pharaoh's own magicians. We see here God humbling mighty Egypt with frogs. Now, it's almost humorous from the very beginning. The destiny of Egypt is in the hands of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the way he's going to deal with them is frogs. Now, by the way, one quick observation about the plague cycles in general. Throughout these plague stories, notice a pattern. First, the plague is threatened, then it's implemented, then it is, uh, then it is imitated, and then it's removed. Now, let me qualify that a little bit. Generally, it is threatened and inflicted. And in the first two plagues, it is imitated. In the third plagues, we're told that Pharaoh's physicians are unable to imitate it. And from that time on, there's no mention of imitation. Each of these plagues is spoken of as removed, except for the tenth, which involves the death, the visitation of the angel of death on the firstborn. There's no remedy for that plague. And so we see a pattern develop, which actually ends up highlighting certain aspects of God's sovereign judgment, even in the way the plagues are laid out. 
Now, this plague, like so many of the others, it begins with God approaching Moses. In verse 1 of our chapter, it says, Thus says the Lord. This announces the beginning of the plague. It is the divine formula. It prefaces God's next command to Moses. Now, that highlights the fact that God is in control of every step of the way. Even when God is responding to Moses' prayer in verses 8 through 12, it is in accordance with his own plan. The Lord is in control. And that pattern of words, thus says the Lord, reinforces the Lord's direct assault on Pharaoh's rule. The Pharaoh of Egypt was called the Lord by his people, and some of the writings of this time even dare to call him the great God. And now the Lord will send Moses, his spokesman, and Aaron as Moses' spokesperson, spokesman, I should say, to speak for him. And to challenge Pharaoh directly, to challenge his rule. Now, notice with me in verse 1, the phrase is repeated. Let my people go in order that they may serve me, in order that they may worship me. This is a major theme. It's a repeated phrase throughout the book of Exodus, especially in the plague stories. The first time that we saw it was back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 23. And you see it again in Exodus 5.1, in Exodus 7.16, in Exodus 8.1. And you'll see it again in verse 8 and verse 20 and verse 21. Let my people go, if they may serve me and worship me. You're going to see it in verse 1 and in verse 13, in chapter 10, verse 3, and chapter 10, verse 4. Notice that in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, to serve is defined as corporate worship, sacrificing, worshiping to God, observing the festival. But the broader context of worship of God, it also entails serving him as the only Lord and Master. And so it's worshiping him in all of life as well as worshiping him in the act of corporate praise. And so both of those aspects of worship are included when God says that my people may serve or worship me. Now, notice that in Exodus 5, 1 through 3, when Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, they say, you need to let us go to worship the Lord, or he's going to visit plagues against you. And so the tables are turned against Pharaoh and against Egypt. Now, in verse 2, we're going to find that the Lord has decided to dismantle the rule of Egypt by means of frogs. Yes, frogs. In fact, the Hebrew, Hebrews didn't really know what to call them. They didn't use an exact word for frog here. The word is actually croaker. You know, things that croak. You didn't have too many frogs in Canaan. Frogs are an Egypt thing. The Israelites didn't know what to call them. God explained he would conquer Egypt with croakers. Now, why, you may ask, croakers? First of all, the use of frogs may well indicate God's challenge against the gods of Egypt, a challenge against the polytheism and idolatry of the Egyptians. Frogs were associated with the Egyptians' god Happy and Haget. Haget was actually considered the goddess of fertility, and she was often pictured as a squatting frog. She was supposed to be a good luck charm to increase the fertility of the people, and so the use of the frog may very well indicate a direct assault against Egyptian idolatry. Secondly, the plague of the frogs may well be a kind of providential judgment warning against Egypt. Perhaps, in fact, it is a rejoinder to Pharaoh's schemes. If Hapt is the goddess of fertility and pictured as a frog, and, and Pharaoh had begun the Exodus story with an attack on an attack on the children of the Hebrews, it, it may well be God coming back and saying, You attempt to strike at, at the fertility of my people, and I will take out the God of the fertility in Egypt, because I'm the only one who gives children. I'm the only one who is sovereign. 
Now, it, it also may point to a more severe judgment to come. Now, we're going to see in just a few moments that we are told that frogs cover the land. Now, hold that thought in the back of your mind for a moment because it indicates that this plague not only looks back to Pharaoh's attempt to kill the children of the Hebrews, but also looks forward to a more severe judgment, which God is warning Pharaoh against. And so finally, of course, the use of frogs is a display of the sovereignty of God. Now, this is really a surprising strategy. God takes something weak and very small and wretched. He uses it to foil the wise and the strong of this world. We're told in verses 3 and 4 that the waters will swarm or teem with frogs. And now the very use of that language, it actually links this to Pharaoh's attempt against the, the children of Israel. Because in Exodus chapter 1 verse 7, we're told that the children of Israel were swarming and even teeming in the land of Egypt. So the frogs here are said to swarm or teem in the land and the waters swarmed with frogs. Notice also in verses 4 and 5 of this chapter that we're told that this plague will affect every caste of society. Society. And three categories are used here. You, Pharaoh, you, your, and your court and your people, the higher-ups and the culture, and your servants. The very lowliest member of your caste, you, your people, and your servants, all three of these Egyptian uh, members of society. In other words, everybody in society, Pharaoh, is going to be impacted by this particular judgment. In verses 5 and 6, when Aaron stretches out his staff, he stretches out his hand, and we're told that all natural water sources in Egypt are impacted and frogs cover the land. Now, as we've been talking about, this is significant. It's significant. It's perhaps even pretentious because Exodus 10, verses 5 and 15, we're told that locusts will cover the land. And then when you move forward to Exodus 14, verse 28, and Exodus 15, verses 5 and 10, we're told that the Egyptian army will be covered by water water. This word is also used graciously in the book of Exodus when Israel has escaped from Egypt and is in the wilderness and is in need of food. We're told in Exodus 16:13 that God will cover the camp with quail for them to eat. Once again, in verse 7 of our chapter today, the Egyptian magicians spring into action and they imitate the plague by their occult practices. And the net result is the increase of misery of Egypt. And you can see already Pharaoh saying, okay, that's enough. I mean, you begin to wonder if he's instrumental and they're not participating in any of the other plagues. Look, guys, this is a second time. This is not working. And so they end up increasing the misery of the Egyptians. But the long and the short of it is you would have never thought of that plan in a million years. Now, I know that the naturalists say, well, what happened is the waters were fouled and so all the frogs came out of the waters. That's a purely natural examination of what's said here. But let's explain the timing. It's clear that Moses has not the slightest idea. It's just merely a natural sequence of cause and effect in the flooding in Egypt in the spring. Okay, but you would never have thought of plaguing your enemy this way in a million years. It's almost laughable. What the Lord is doing is he's saying, I'll show my sovereignty over the mightiest nation on earth with frogs. But that's exactly what God is doing. He has a million ways to accomplish his ways to accomplish his will. He has a million ways to get to you. And he doesn't mind using those things which are small and even weak and despised in order to highlight his sovereignty. We see here God humbling mighty Egypt with frogs. And we see that his hands hold the destiny of Egypt. Now, next... We're going to look at those who know God are more instrumental in his will for the future than the mightiest of the earth. 
And that's a second thing that I want you to notice in this chapter. We just talked about the sovereignty of God. So not only is God's sovereignty in judgment, his use of surprising means, but in verses 8 through 12, what we're going to see is God's sovereignty in Moses' prayer. Pharaoh in verses 8 through 12 acknowledges the Lord for the first time in the book of Exodus. And he even manages to ask Moses to pray on behalf to the Lord. But we see in this section that those who know God are more instrumental in the accomplishing of his will, of his decree for the future, than the mighty of the earth are. Those who know God are more instrumental in accomplishing his will for the future than those who are mighty on the earth. And you might think, this, this is the heads of the government. They're, they're the ones who have the real power. They are the ones who have the real future in their hands. And yet the Lord is showing you here how he exercised his sovereignty in connection with his people's prayers. Let's look at verse 8. Pharaoh's magicians, or perhaps his gods, have directly failed him. And so Pharaoh comes and he calls for Moses and Aaron. He acknowledges the name of the Lord for the first time. You're going to remember back in Exodus verse 2, Pharaoh said, The Lord, I've never even heard of his name. Who's he? Well, suddenly, Pharaoh knows his name. There's frogs everywhere, including his washbowl. We're making some progress here. So he calls for Moses and Aaron. He says, look, intercede for me. He asks Moses to pray, and he even promises to let the people go for worship. Again, you see, God is displaying his sovereignty and compelling Pharaoh to do his will. He had told Moses before Pharaoh will not do it willingly, and so I will compel him. And that's what we see happening here. This is not the willing action of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, in a tight spot, now turns to Moses and Aaron and asks them to pray for him. Now, in verse 9 of our chapter, Moses turns to Pharaoh and says, The honor is yours. You tell me, when do you want this? Now, the timing of the question that Moses gives to Pharaoh, too, shows the sovereignty of God. It indicates that the Lord alone has the power to sin and to relieve the plague. Okay, Pharaoh, so my God is so sovereign, you just name the time. When is it you want this done? And so then Pharaoh responds in verse 10 with an unreasonable request. He says, okay, okay, you want me to name it tomorrow. I want them gone tomorrow. You see, Pharaoh apparently thinks that the God of Israel won't be able to work that fast. Maybe Pharaoh is thinking in terms of some uh, sh short of a natural cycle or a natural phenomenon. Surely it's going to take a few weeks to get rid of all these frogs. But tomorrow, you want it done tomorrow? No problem. I'll take care of that. And, and out of his presence, he goes, this too is going to magnify the Lord. Pharaoh says tomorrow, and God will do it tomorrow and magnify himself in Pharaoh's eyes. Notice explicitly in verse 10 that Moses says that he will do this, that God will do this so that you will know that there is no one like our God. Remember here, when God said to Moses that he had never revealed his name, the Lord, to the patriarchs. And remember what we talked about. Well, you know the name, the Lord, is used before in Exodus 6, verse 2 in the Bible. What, what does that mean? And do you remember we said it's clear that God planned to reveal the full significance of his name, the Lord, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, in the Exodus account. And isn't it interesting that Moses is saying here, Pharaoh, God's going to answer this for you because I want you to know and he wants you to know that there is none like the Lord. You're going to find some things out about the Lord that you didn't know before. You're going to find it out in, in what he does in this plague. And so Moses tells Pharaoh that the frogs are going to depart. But interestingly, he does not tell Pharaoh how. He simply tells Pharaoh that the only living frogs left will be the ones in the Nile. Boy, should Pharaoh have attached a caveat to that request. 
And so Moses leaves and we're told that he cries out to the Lord in prayer. And now there again is another significant phrase. Cry out is used at a very crucial point in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 5 verse 15, the foremen cry out to God. It's a time of great peril. And when the Egyptian army is bearing down on the people of Israel at the Red Sea in Exodus 14 verse 10, the people cry out to God. So Moses leaves Pharaoh's presence, and what does he do? He cries out to God in prayer. Why? What's at stake there? Well, a great deal is at stake. The revelation, the manifestation of the sovereignty of God, and that calls for Moses to implore the God of Israel, and he cries out to him. Can you imagine this story being told by former slaves around the fire in the wilderness? Now, think about this. People who are utterly powerless, people who have been utterly powerless, they, they've had no say about their work, they've had no say about their wages, they've had no say about their family life, their ability to move, about their ability to improve their own situation, and suddenly they are being told that the most powerful man that they have ever known existed was reduced to the point that he had to go to Moses, their religious leader, to ask him to pray to God and that the future of the nation of Egypt was not in the hands of Pharaoh. It was clearly placed in the hands of Moses as he interceded to God. Can you imagine how they would have responded to that? You, you mean to tell us, God, that our prayers are more significant in the course of your designs in the history of nations and the rulers of those nations? And God is saying, you better believe it. You are my people, and I rule the world by my word and by my spirit. And I choose as one of the instruments of my decree, your prayers, to move the course of the nations forward and to reveal the divine plan of the Lord. Well, perhaps today you're in a situation that makes you feel utterly powerless. Consider this story. Whatever is powerful at a human level in your experience cannot match the power according to the sovereign mercy of God. If your prayer of intercession is in accordance with his sovereign will, God's people may look powerless in the world, but by prayer they are the chosen instruments of a future of time and history. You are never completely powerless in this world when you serve a sovereign God. I don't, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what situation is totally out of your control and is driving you out of your mind. Maybe your health is, is going on you. You feel out of control. Maybe this is your body. You've always been in control of your body, but suddenly your body is not serving you like it used to. Maybe it's a family situation. Everything you try, it doesn't work. You feel utterly powerless, and the Lord is saying, you're never powerless. I use the instrument of prayer. I hear my people. And Pharaoh can't measure up to the influence that you have with me. God is sovereign, and he's sovereign in prayer. Third, God's sovereignty is actually revealed in mercy and the gradualism of the plagues. But Pharaoh is a reprobate. There's one last thing I want you to see in this chapter in verses 13 through 17. We've seen God's sovereignty in judgment. We've seen God's sovereignty in prayer. But here we're going to see God's sovereignty in Pharaoh's self-condemnation. But we're also going to see God's sovereignty in mercy. The plague plays out in verses 13 through 15. It plays out in a manner of speaking. But Pharaoh, as soon as there is a relief in sight, uh, steals his heart. And interestingly, he condemns himself. He steals his heart against the Lord just as the Lord had predicted. And, and you're going to see that phrase repeated throughout the Exodus story. As the Lord had said, it's almost like, I told you, I told you, I told you so. 
God's sovereignty is in this passage. It's actually revealed in mercy and the gradualism of the plagues. What I mean by that is that God does not send the plague of death for the first plague. God visits the Nile. God sends the frogs. God sends the insects. God sends the boils. God sends the locusts. God gradually, repeatedly sends messages of warning to Egypt, and those messages themselves entail mercy. You see that God's patience in his not visiting a final judgment immediately, but in sending gradual, repeated, temporal judgments designed to reveal that he is a Lord, and this is designed to evoke repentance. Now, the plague is removed in verses 13 and 14, but the consequences remain. I want you to think about the two consequences here. First of all, there was a lot of hard cleanup work of the Egyptians, frogs everywhere. Secondly, there was a stench throughout Egypt. Now, as awesome as that final scene of judgment is, do you not see the father reaching out in mercy saying, don't make another step toward that judgment. I'll bring it. Turn back, repent, receive my mercy. Know that I'm God. Experience the embrace of the covenant of grace. Don't walk into judgment. The dead frogs foreshadow the human carcasses of the plague of the death angel and the victory of the Red Sea. But Pharaoh is reprobate. And and though God warns him mercifully, he hardens his own heart. It's almost a joke for you there in the text because you've already learned that the Egyptian believed that in the afterlife, the person with a heavy heart is a person who is judged as sinful. And so when we read that Pharaoh hardens his own heart literally, Pharaoh makes his own heart heavy. So what you're seeing here is Moses telling you that the supposed God of Egypt just judged himself to be a sinner and unworthy to enter into the blessedness of the afterlife. You see, God is sovereign in the God of Egypt judging himself. But as you think of the the sovereignty of God over Pharaoh and Pharaoh's own self-condemnation, I want you to think of God's sovereignty and mercy too, because God's patience in the covenant of grace is not only proverbial, it is a consistent reality in both the Old and the New Testament. God is more patient than we would ever be. God is more gracious than we could ever imagine. In John chapter 13, we're told twice. In fact, it's emphasized that it has been determined before the foundation of the world that Judas would betray Jesus. Jesus explicitly announces this to the disciples, that one among them has been destined by God in the eternal decree to betray him. In other words, Jesus is conscious of the decree of God that Judas would be hard-hearted, unrepentant, and would betray the Lord. And yet, do you realize in the opening verses of that great chapter, we're told that Jesus knelt to wash his feet in John 13. He knows who the reprobate is, and yet he kneels to wash his feet. John Calvin has this incredible comment on that particular passage in John 13. He says that Jesus knelt to wash the feet of the son of perdition, who has been doomed to reprobation from the beginning of time, that he might open the gate to repentance. And that is, my friends, if Jesus can give the offer of the gospel to a reprobate, and if God can offer the gospel nine times to the reprobate Pharaoh, then there is nobody, nobody that we cannot extend the free offer of the gospel to. We are to uh, uh, extend the free offer of the gospel to everyone. We see it in the example of God's dealing of Pharaoh, and we see it in the example of Jesus dealing with, with Judas. Now, this is what this chapter is telling us go therefore and do likewise and trust in the sovereignty of god that means that we are to call everyone to repent and believe and put their hope and trust in christ we are to be faithful like paul was with the philippian jailer in acts 16 31 and then we just trust god by his spirit to open eyes to open ears the spirit takes the faithful 
preaching and teaching of his word and he uses it to open eyes and open ears and to make disciples of the nations for the honor and glory of God. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave and we've looked at Exodus chapter 8. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.